Here we are, Foul Life World, back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. We have one of our mainstays, one of our best guests, one of our best friends in the industry. You've seen him on the Foul Life. You've heard him here on the Foul Life Podcast. You've heard him on This Life Ain't For Everybody Podcast. You've seen him all over Team Yukonuba. Tips that we have done with this man. He is responsible for one of the most successful kennels in the country and training systems, Team Mossy Pond, out of the great state of Georgia. Him and his crew down there, including his lovely wife, Ellen, his main counterpart. Art, Mr. Lee Howard, they have got some badass stuff going on. We're going to talk to him today about what we call collar conditioning training with an e-collar brought to you by our friends at Dog Tread. Brad Arrington, how are you, my man? Everything's great. Everything's great. The, the weather's starting to change a little bit for us down here in Georgia, so um, that's a plus. Able to get able to get some more stuff done on land and not not be stuck in the water all day long. So um, we're excited. Falls in the air. You got a lot of. Uh, I assume a lot of the clients this time of year start getting a pretty good itch going of getting their dog back, coming down, learning all of the the, the transition from you and all of the the drills and everything. But they're really fired up to see their dog get after some live birds. I, I would imagine. Oh, definitely. You know, dove season came in last weekend and it was it was brutally hot, but um, it it spiked everything. All the customers coming in camp in the lodge to to learn how to operate their dogs. So we're we're going through a lot of a lot of a lot of um, teaching teaching customers and training dogs, but um, teaching a lot of customers right now, getting ready for hunting season and then. Um, I think yeah Monday um, it backed up opening day of dove season with some cooler weather so every everybody the phone's ringing off the hook getting their dog picking their dog up getting their dog tuned up so it's that time of the year. I'm going to wait to tell you what I experienced on opening day dove after I ask a couple questions. Is it okay? to hunt a dog when it's 90 degrees out there it's early in the morning so i shouldn't say 90 degrees but it's forecasted for 90 95 that time of the morning it's probably 68 70 doves are flying around like crazy um what are some of the hints can you hunt a high-powered lab like our axle on a dove hunt the feathers come off easier on a dove it's warmer um do you have water by your side at all times? Um, first of all, though, Brad Arrington, is it okay to hunt a lab like Axel on a dove hunt? Yes, definitely. You know, um, there's a, a checklist of stuff that I do. You know, um, dove, dove season um, pretty much put me in two business, um, in, in retriever business. Um, I, I ran bird dogs before that, but dove, dove hunting, is what got me going and um it is extremely popular in south georgia because we don't have the ducks um like, like you guys have but so what there, there's several things i mean i hunted and uh, there's gonna be a lot of people roll their eyes when when i say i took a dog out in 97 degree weather but our season doesn't open till 12 o'clock on saturday and um, it was 97 degrees. It was one of the hottest opening days I've ever um, witnessed. And you know, all my co um, customers called, and you know, can I take can I take my dog? And I said, you know, it's not a great idea. I said I am taking a dog, but um, what I did in the corn stubble, I put me a I put me a gunner kennel out there, and um, uh, I put a bag of ice in there and some ice in the bottom of the gunner kennel. I had uh, a bowl sitting there 
and I shot birds. I, I killed 12 birds with um, a young pup um, named Trigger, and he, he picked up singles. He didn't pick up multiples. What really gets a dog really hot is that bird that you shoot that's crippled and it goes a long ways in thick cover that you know the dog's going to have to go up there and set up a big hunt pattern. I got in a spot that was clean right outside the corn stubble, and I knew every retrieve that I was going to send Trigger on was one he could see on the ground. And, you know, it was just work on his steadiness, let him see the bird down, count the five Mississippi, say his name, put my gun down, no diversion birds when he's running out or back in with that bird, let him make the retrieve, come back in, get back in the, um, in the crate, like a ground force blind or something like that, or in your um, um, skid blind out in the woods when you're duck hunting. And we just worked on 12 retrieves. I, I killed 12 birds and um, he was too hot at that point and I put him up. Uh, a couple other things. This time of the year in Georgia, uh, all, all the birds are, are uh, 90, 80% of them are juveniles and they have those pin feathers. Um, a dog on either side of his mouth it's like a funnel and it funnels down to the back of his throat. You can actually give a peel with the dog's mouth shut and put it down that funnel and there's an opening behind their jaw that goes down into their throat. Well, when they pick up those juveniles, those pin feathers start going back to the back of their throat. And then it'll, it'll cause a couple issues. It makes them hot because they can't cool down as fast because that's the way a dog cools down through his mouth. And, when he's running back, you'll notice he'll start mouthing the bird. What he's doing, he's rolling his tongue, trying to roll those pin feathers up, but he has the, the next dove in his mouth, so um, it's hard to do. So what I do, just like a football player has the Gatorade squirt bottle, when they come back in, I'll take that dove, squirt his mouth out, and then squirt those two funnels on each side of his um, jaw to squirt those feathers on down, let him... If you can't rake my finger and grab what I can out, and then I just squirt the rest of them down where he swallows them. So ice, um, keeping plenty, plenty hydrated. If you can get next to a piece of water, a pond, a, a ditch. A lot of people, um, this is a little extreme, but a number three, number um, five wash tub, bury it, put ice water in it, let them hunt out of it. That takes a little bit more time. But all these ways gives us a way to get out in the field and hunt our dogs and prepare them for the rest of the hunting season. Everybody's excited. But yes, I get, I had three um, calls this Saturday of dogs overheating. Um, we didn't lose any, but um, you have to take extreme precautions and be extremely careful. And I think we talked last time about preparing these dogs that they acclimate to the weather. And, you know, if a dog's been sitting on the couch all summer and then you take him dove hunting, it would take about 10 minutes to kill him. So if you've been working him, preparing and training, and he's been outside and he's acclimated to it, you get a little bit more out of them. But the, the couch dog all summer, you take him out and shoot down your limit 15 birds, um, you'll probably kill him without the extreme precaution measures. And some of those seem really extreme, especially when people think of a dove. But when it becomes as popular as it is in the South, people are going to go. They want to hunt with their dogs. What about the feed, Brad Arrington? Do you, if you're not going out till noon on 97 degrees, do you even dare feed them early in the morning or do you wait until after the workout? 
I, I don't. I mean, maybe a handful just to put something on their um, stomach. And, you know, a lot of times I tell everybody, I use common sense. You know, I, I played baseball and football in high school. And um, if you're playing a, a mid-morning football game, you're not going to go to Huddle House and load up, you know. Um, eat you something to get your metabolism going, get your um, body moving. You know, a cup of orange juice is what I would have, something like that, like a banana. But um, for a dog, you know, just a handful full of kibble give him a handful of um you know his eucanuba kibble and uh, but as far as a bowl of food before a hot hunt like that no he's gonna throw it up within five minutes if yeah throwing it up would be the safe way for him to get rid of it um if not it could turn into bloat and torsion and everything else so we woke up to opening day doves shooting hours was 607 the 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 sky was literally dark with the california fire smoke okay so it's it's hot it's going to be hot in the forecast like i mentioned before but the smoke is covering up the sun so it's not a real direct but the uv is still there we got we woke up to about 15 mile an hour breezes i didn't even look at the forecast for wind because i didn't expect it but it was going to get upwards of 40 mile an hour gusts on opening day dove which makes it almost impossible to hit one of the little things but um we had some luck i got up against an almond grove so I'm in an orchard and I put Axel right beside me underneath one tree that was an adult tree. So it provided really good cover. Even if the sun was out, we would have had good shade. Picture this now out in front of us is a huge property line ditch that's bigger than just a creek ditch, but it's dry at the bottom, but it's a big one. I'm talking probably 15 foot descent and then a 10 yard flat and then a 15 yard us, you know, to, to us sand up the hill on the other side. The dove were approaching us from the foothills out in front of us and they were flying with the the wind at us to come in to the almonds so i would literally it was almost like a duck hunt brad to where i could see him way out there before axel and i would say watch just like you taught me and his ears would pin back and he would start seeing it. Now, sometimes there was multiples. So he was watching all the birds and I was trying to let them get on our side of the ditch before I hit them. Right. So I would let them get on this side of the ditch. They'd get over towards the sun a little bit. I'd pull on them watch he'd, he'd be right on them they would fall some of them the wind would take them and push them back into the almond tree so now we have and, and almond groves those trees are tight you've seen them and they're they're, they're the lanes aren't very wide and then the trees are very in, in each in each row of trees they're very pretty, pretty close and then dove being the color they are there's not like you got a distinct green head or a red head on them it's just a dirt looking gray right so he would mark them and the ones that he marked he was on it and he would be i'd say I'd say his name, boom, bring the dove back. Okay, I'm going to get into the feathers in a second. Some of them, he would he would see them where they would where they would get hit, and the feathers would puff and fall to the ground. But the bird got kept going with his momentum in the wind; it would get carried back into the almond orchard a little bit. So that meant, all right, now he's going to use his nose. So I was faced with a thing. I want to tell you this. So he would go to the feathers and get that scent right there. So the bird should be right there. He was thinking. But the bird was actually 10 to 12 yards, you know, 10 to 12 feet to his right, my right, his left when he when he was facing me. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah so yeah. so I would stop him and I would just give him one little silent over, nonverbal over with my right hand and boom, he would go over. He went 15 for 15, Brad, on four of the birds. They fell in the ditch off to the right, which made it kind of like a blind where he saw him 
puff, but he didn't see him where he hit the ground. And I'm telling you, just he performed flawlessly. The only the only one that he did not retrieve was uh, was a cripple that we thought was down. But when he went to get him, the bird got up and took off, and I had already put my gun down. And so he he didn't think anything of it. I called him back, and the the hunt was a very successful hunt. Like I was just like, wow, for fifteen for fifteen that quick, didn't lose any birds. The one cripple got away. He wasn't that. I didn't hit him very hard at all. But what I saw was every time he come back, he was doing that with his mouth. So I yeah. would take my I would take my hand and rake his tongue. I would rake his lips, and then, but I didn't know about the channels. So <clears throat> I had a water ball a water bowl by me, and I kept filling it up. I had three different contain- canisters of water. I made sure that he was totally hydrated. He was excited, man. He would get his water and be ready to hunt. Right? Never got overheated because it wasn't it wasn't hot enough by this time. But my question is 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 can those feathers build up in the track or in the digestive system? And is there a chance that I let him swallow too many of those feathers or could, can we just rely on a dog's digestive system that I've seen him eat a lot worse than a few dove feathers and be fine? Not Axel. I'm not talking about Axel. I'm not talking about Axel specifically. I've just seen other dogs. You're scared. I was going to go pick him back up. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, um, I don't like any dogs to have any foreign matter except kibble in there. You know, I'm not even a fan of chew toys and stuff like that. If the dogs, um, you know, with the Yukonuba, the new um, um, advanced stuff that they've done with it, you know, it cleans their teeth good. So I, I don't do any chew toys. So no foreign matter for me, but you know, if you go back and you think, you know, um, how, how a dog, you know, a coyote, a wolf, fox, you know, they're, they're used to eating, they're used to eating that kind of stuff. So it's probably not going to hurt him dove feathers. You know, if he ate, if he ate two full doves, yes, sure. It would, it, 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 it would it would make him sick, mess his GI up. But, um, one thing I want to go back and talk to you about, just to make sure we're on the same page with, um, with the training. So I'm going to contradict myself here a little bit. So I said earlier, we wanted him to only in the heat, we only want him to go out and get those dub that they see because then the reason being, we don't want them to set up a big hunt pattern, meaning in this heat, we don't want him to go out there and just start circling and circling, circling, circling and hunt, 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 hunt. And that is only because of the heat because they can get too hot. But something you said you did when he got there and he wasn't right on the bird where, where he thought it was using your whistle and using hand signals immediately, immediately like that is not typically what you want. Um, the reason being, um, if you continue this process, then they're going to go out there as soon as they don't find it, they're, they're not going to rely on their nose and their eyesight. They're just going to, what they call pop, which means sit down and turn around and basically ask you, Hey dad, where's it at? Put me on it. So then when we start duck hunting here in a few months, you know, we, what we want out of Axel and what we trained him to do and what he's so talented at, um, is his hunt pattern, how to recover game and how to find them on his own. Okay. He went out there, marked where it went down, but then can't find it. 
in that hunt pattern that I've taught him over the last three years and worked on and worked on over 10,000, 100,000 retrieves, we don't want him to start relying on us showing him where that bird is because there's going to be a lot of times when you're duck hunting and you're waterfowl hunting, you don't know. You know, it hit out there in the tulies or it hit out there in the, um, you know, the cattails and it was a crippled, so he's got to do his job. And, you know, you want that dog to go to the mark and then he starts working out working a bigger circle, working a bigger circle, working a bigger circle. So if it wasn't hot and you could have allowed him to do that Saturday, you would have seen that all that training and um, his talent pick up and uh, and he, he would have started, he'd have got there. And then with your strong wind, it blew the feathers to this spot, but the bird was a different spot. You would have seen him start hunting wider and wider and wider until he found the game. But um, so I'll recap on that. If it's hot, you did the right thing. You're keeping your dog cool. But typically, do not try to handle it until the dog just, I mean, you're like, he cannot find it. A lot of people, when they're hunting their dog, they send him out there, and they're sitting there seeing the bird, or they know where the bird's at, and they're just like, I'm not going to waste any time to and put him on the bird and that's not what you want because then the dog will lose the ability to have a great hunt pattern and recover game on his own makes total sense and i know i know this from firsthand experience in the last two weeks i was doing angle backs with our friend les and les is les is out and he's throwing the marks on angle backs and i got too presumptuous on the whistle one time and I don't know if it was my patience or I just didn't want him going to where he was going. I stopped him and put him in the direction of where the angle was, the, the bird was. And two retrieves later, two, two drills later, he popped and he just stopped. He just stopped, sat on his ass, looked back at me. And I'm like, oh, and then let's started educating me on what a pop was. So um, when you're talking about what you're saying, the hunt, the, the hunt pattern and where he's at out there trying to make bigger circles, one, I think that I had it in my mind, Brad Arrington, that I kept thinking back of what you and Lee have done with him and all of these hunt tests and, and hearing people like they got to go get the bird and get back to you. Are they allowed to make a hunt circle in a test or do they have to go right to the bird and take a straight line? Are they allowed to hunt for it when they get out there? And two, as the handler, how much patience do you have on a hunt pattern of letting him hunt that bird up on his own? How do you know when it is time to finally blow the whistle and get him back on to where you think the bird is? You know, and, you know, there, there's so many things that I can tell a guy that, and then he'll go hunting with me. He said, well, Brad, you just blew the whistle. You know, um, safety factors, that's what you dealt with this weekend. Um, you know, and but I like a dog to go out there and hunt. I mean, even if he misses it and all my buddies are like, look, we need to get him back in the blind. Because most time when he's educated and he does a lot of hunting, his hunt pattern isn't going to last over, you know, 30 seconds um, if he's a good marker and we've, we've trained him properly. So, um, but, you know, don't get me wrong. If, if a cripple's going left out there in the water and you see him and his hunt pattern's getting bigger, but maybe the wind's drifting him to the right or something, if you see it's just a, it's just a lost cause, he's never going to get it. Yeah, do it. But to make a good hunting dog, you know, a good hunting dog, you shoot, and if he if he he's going to mark, and that's the difference with the hunt test. You know, with, well, you mentioned the hunt test. In a hunt test, that bird lands in the same exact spot. 
I mean, same exact spot. A lot of our judges will tie a piece of ribbon on a piece of grass out there, and that's where we throw it or shoot it out of the wingers where it lands in the same exact spot for every dog. And when they mark it, when it goes down and they go for it, you know, they know exactly where that bird's at and it doesn't move. Well, that's not the same with, with live birds. You shoot a dove out of there and maybe he's not, maybe he falls in that spot, but he's crippled or he flops off or he flops in the bushes or the wind. Like you you say, if they're going 20 miles an hour, the wind is, and then he's flying 30 with it. He, he's going 50 miles an hour. When he hits, he's going to bounce and roll 20 feet. So, um, you know, I, I like to watch those dogs learn how to pick up and find that game. And the more birds that they go to a certain spot and then have to use their hunt pattern and come up with it, and then they're successful with it, you get a five or six-year-old that a guy doesn't handle a lot and lets his dog hunt, that, that thing will recover a lot of game without hand signals. Because here's another thing. Even with the best dog in my kennel, once I blow that whistle, it's all on me. And maybe I don't know exactly where he's at and I'm trying to put him there and maybe he um, gives me a few cast refusals. You know, at that point it, it turns into, you know, we, we got to make sure he gets there. He's got to listen to me. There's a lot more elements that um, come into play as if he's just hunting, he, he, he could probably come up with the game better. But if you see a safety hazard like you did, or if you know where the bird's at, um, I would still let him have the hunt pattern for 30 to 45 seconds. And then if you see where the bird, you stop him and put him over there. Okay. That, that's a, that's a big time lesson for me, man, because I, I was getting, I was experiencing that of kind of the mindset of get the bird and get back to the blind and get ready for the next birds coming in if the hunt's hot and heavy. But you have to let that dog use its talents and use its nose to hunt that bird up. And at- actually will be a better hunting dog in a year from now if you let him go out there and hunt those birds. If you start handling him on every mark, then um, he'll, he'll, go, he'll run out there and make one loop. If he can't find it, he'll sit. All right, Daddy, where's it at? And then you were doing something else. You were loading your gun. You were calling some more birds. Well, crap, I don't know where it's at, Axel. Then you're shot because he isn't going to go back into hunting mode after he's popped. Wow, it makes total sense. When you start talking about Dogtra, our presenting sponsor today, their their slogan is make every dog exceptional. You work with Dogtra exclusively. Because of you, I work with Do- Dogtra exclusively. And we when we were doing the when we were doing the handoff you used two words with me collar conditioning and you said when you put that collar on that dog axel's going to become a different animal and it is amazing to me and i mean this i'm not trying to sound like overzealous or like exaggerating i'm talking like it is amazing with the difference he he thinks he can get away with pretty much anything without that collar and then all of a sudden when that thing goes on he turns into a machine that Within a matter of seconds, he is ready to go. 
Is that what you mean by caller conditioning that he knows once that's on, he's conditioned. Obviously it does have something to do with it. He's conditioned for the hunt now or to be trained or to go do drills. But Brad Arrington, I'm talking like on a different level of animal when it goes on, what does caller conditioning mean? And is it evident on every dog? Does every dog take to it? Like I've seen Axel, um, when they get to this level of being a master hunter, hunter, retriever champion is caller conditioning a must for a dog. Just explain caller conditioning a little bit and that's my fault because that is it's that's not what collar conditioning is i'll explain it collar what you're describing is actually being collar wise and you know and that's something we actually need to work on you know what since i dropped him off a couple weeks ago we've actually anytime you've taken him out and you're working him i've told you to put the collar on but we want to convert him into not being collar wise so what he is what he's doing if you're hanging out by the pool and you're you're just hanging out with him letting him be a dog he feels free and probably doesn't obey as well i mean he's just y'all are being buddies which you know if that's what you're okay with that's okay but if a safety hazard came a cat runs by and runs across the street and he's about to get run over and you say here and he doesn't obey because he doesn't have his e-collar on, that's no good either. So to fix a dog from being collar-wise is there's a lot of times that I'll put that collar on when he's just hanging out. I might even turn it off. And then I don't only put it on only when he's working. So there's times I'll put it on while he's eating. There's times that I'll put it on when he's hunting and vice versa. I want him to... Even when, if I want to take him hunting without an e-collar on, I want, I want him to be able to do that as well. Now, um, so that's collar-wise. As far as collar conditioning, it is a process is a, and a teaching process that we teach these dogs how the collar operates. Um, they, these aren't, I'm about to use some terms and um, how I say it to my customers. That's probably not in the doctor book and you've ever read or heard before. But, um, you know, I, we, me and the trainers here, we call it a ghost correction. A lot of guys will come up and they put a collar on a dog and they've never collar conditioned the dog. And they say, no, here, when he takes off running and they just shock him, the dog jumps and comes back, tail tucked, ears down, looking around like a ghost just got him. Well, that's pretty much what they think because they haven't been collar conditioned. Collar conditioning is we, we, we do it here and we start with three foundation commands, sit here and heal. And we teach sit here and heal forever. We make sure it is crystal clear to our dogs. We teach it on a wonder lead. We teach the hear command, we teach the sit command, we teach the heal command, where they know 100% what sit is. I know it. I know 100% that they know what sit is, I know 100% that they know what hear is, and 100% what heal means. After this, we will still have them on the wonder lead, but we will put the e-collar on them, and we will start it at a very low setting, and um, what we'll do, I like using, um, I like using like a 1900S by Dogtra on this. It's a single collar. It only has two buttons, a nick and a continuous, but it's got a rheostat. It goes from zero to 127. That's the intensity level of the shock. And um, what I do, I, I turn it like a one. And when I pick up on that dog, what we've used in the past is the um, Wonder Lead. When we pick up, 
So it does this, and when he puts his bottom to the ground, the pressure lets off. Well, we're going to do the same thing now with the e-collar. So we're going to put a very low setting where it's basically like this on his neck. And that's what it's going to feel like. And he's going to look around a little bit, basically like that ghost correction. But we're going to, we're going to do it in the right manner this time. So it's doing this. And maybe from 1 to 27, from 1 to 127, we're at a 6 or 7. Well, then when his booty hits the ground, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop with the pressure. Then we're going to go. And then I'm going to say sit again. When I say sit, I'm going to be hitting the continuous button on maybe a 10. When his booty hits the ground, I'm going to let off. We're going to do that a thousand times, going up a little bit in the intensity until it's where his neck is going like this a little bit. No, we don't want him to vocalize, but where his neck is like this, and when his booty hits the ground, the pressure stops. Then we're going to do the here command. We're going to sit him at a distance. We're going to say here. We're going to start pulling him in with our long lead. We're going to give the low continuous pressure. When he starts committing to me hard, I'll let go. So it's doing this. When he starts running, I'll let off. This is a four to six week process working your dog three to four times a day, six days a week, a lot of hours. And then it'll go into the kennel command, the place command, the down command, the fetch command. All of your commands will be collar conditioned. And when you collar condition a dog, they have a happy attitude about the collar. Just like you say, when you put the collar on Axel, he knows it's time to work and he's having fun. His ears are up, his tail's wagging. If you do not collar condition a dog with an e-collar, it can be the worst tool in the world. The reason being, these dogs get what I referred to earlier as that ghost correction, and they don't know what hit them, what got in their neck, They've always probably had a little collar on since they were a pup. And then all of a sudden, something's attacking them and getting them. So, so many people buy a collar, just slap it on the dog. He runs off. They say, here, and hit the button. Worst thing you can do. Now, with that, with that being said, e-collars are the best tool as well. I can get those timely adequate corrections at 450 yards when I need that cast into the wind and my dog keeps scalloping back and I see that goose getting away he's crippled he's walking in the corn stubble but the dog can't see him he's got his head down he's getting away we got just a maybe two more casts or he's in the fence row on another man's property and he keeps refusing I can give that Nick at 450 yards with a 20 mile an hour wind that says no I don't want you to go that way bud I want you to go this way. And I give that cast again. We recover our game. The e-collars helped us be a better conservation tool. So collar conditioning, recap. Collar conditioning is to teach the dog how the collar operates and what we're asking of the dog. Collar wise means that the dog knows when he can obey and when he cannot obey because the collar's on him. And we don't want that. We want a dog that obeys both times. To get the dog not to be collar-wise, put the collar on random times when he's eating, when he's hanging out, and to keep a high standard around the house. If you tell him to sit and he gets up, go over there and make him sit without using the e-collar. And over time, he will, he will become not collar-wise.
Okay, so re- recap on my end. When I started off, it, I was I was describing and defining color wise. This can be prevented or worked upon by when he's in the pool or he's just laying around the house, have the collar on and that he knows that he might not necessarily be on a hunt. He might not necessarily be in a training drill. He might not necessarily even be going to fetch anything, but he just knows that, that he, he can't become wise to that, that when that collar's on that, that I expect this out of him. He has to be, he, if he becomes wise to that, then he, he might just act, act up all the time without the collar is what you're saying. Absolutely correct. Now, one thing I want to say, never have the e-collar on more than about six hours. Um, always take it off, let the let the neck breathe. But um, so a lot of times I tell somebody to leave it on, and then they'll, I mean, put it on different times of light, and they'll call me back the next day. Well, it, I, I just leave it on him. When I need it, I turn it on. I said, no, 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 you can't do that either. But because it'll, it'll rub them right there, so and it'll create a hot spot. But exactly what you said, Take it, um, take it on and off, do it different times and keep a high standard in your training when you're not, when you're not hunting and when you're not just training. So if you're hanging out by the pool and you tell him to lay down and you give him the down command and he gets up, no Axel here, down, make him lay down and make him do it right. Even when you're not hunting. Now there's some of my customers look, when we're not hunting and it's by the pool, it's his time. He can get away with murder. He can do whatever he wants. If that's what you want, that's, that's a okay. But he, he does need to know the difference when the e collars on and when it's, I mean, he doesn't need to be collar wise. He doesn't need to only operate when the collar's on. I love hearing that makes total sense. So when you start talking about your controller with the dog tree and you, you said when you were using the long lead and you're pulling the dog back to you or when you're doing the sit, he'll stay, um, you're nicking, but it also has a continuous. Are you, when you're doing those drills, are you just tapping the Nick button or when do you, when as a handler, when do you use each of those, the Nick or the continuous on the, on the remote for the dog tree? All right, on the collar conditioning, it is continuous the way that we teach it. Some people teach it different, but we do teach it with continuous. That's why constant, and when he sits, I let off. Now, my last description on that cast that I needed to get at 450 yards for the goose getting away, that was a nick. So what, what that does, after they advance and they do something wrong, we'll resit them, nick them, they'll say, if we can't holler no at that distance at a low setting, it just, hey, no, don't don't scallop on my cast or don't refuse my cast again. So I, I use that as the nick. Basically, the nick is a reminder for me. Um, we also have a tone on the dog tree collars or a pager that vibrates. Um, and if if you want to use the pager, that, that works too. But... Um, I, I like I like to give them a nick and say no. I'm asking you to I'm asking you to um, go this way or do this. Yep. So the, the the nick is for a reminder for us. Continuous is for a correction. And when when you when you is there any secrets that you can give uh, the the handler or the owner when he's putting that collar on? You've mentioned to me in the past, get it wet 
Um, why wet? Is it always good? Let's say on that dove hunt the other day, should I have, should I have drained some water over it or soaked it in some water before I put it on or let him jump in some water before he starts hunting? What, what is going on as far as the application goes? And what are some hints you can give a guy or a girl when they're putting that collar on the dog? Mistake I see a lot is not having good connections. Um, when we were working Axel the other day, he's he's got a good bit of loose skin right here up under his neck where we had the prongs, and we had short prongs. You you can also get medium prongs and long prongs for these collars. For Axel, you know that's why we swapped them out to the longer prongs when we got back. Longer prongs to get that good connection. Um, you, you don't, you know, you don't have to wet them in that circumstance. That I, I did that. I was just making sure that we got really good connection, and because. What you don't want is we're trying to figure out a collar and we're trying to figure out what Axel's um, level or intensity is. And if it's a, a 25 or a 35, whatever it is, and we don't have good connection, so it's like this, and we shock him and he barely gets a little bit. And we say, well, that's a good setting. And then he gets wet in the pool or in the pond, and then he gets really good connection and we shock him. Ah! You know, he, he vocalizes on us. We don't want that. So we want it the same amount every time. We want to make sure that um, we have good connection. Um, no, you do not have to wet the collars. You do not have to wet the dog if you have the right prongs for the collar and it's good and snug. You know, I don't want the dog choking, but... I want good connection, so I want the collar good and snug. I, I want to be able to just put two fingers up under the collar. One finger's too tight. If I can squeeze three under there easily, that's too loose. Um, so it, and I'd rather it be a touch tight than too loose. If it's too loose, you're going to get um, inadequate um, corrections and. That's that's when you think that you're not getting enough and you turn it up and then you shock him. Connection's good and you shock too hard. When you're when you're at hunt camp, Brad, let's say we're at Prairie Wings in Arkansas, which we've been at several times together, you wake the dog the you're up, the dogs are obviously gonna be awake. Do you put the collar on coming out of the kennel from the night or do you kennel the dog in the in the mobile, you know, in the portable kennel that's going to the hunt? And then put the collar on once you get to the hunt. When in the right, when is the right time in the morning, you know, on a hunt day to put the collar on? Well, you know, just looking back over the years for myself and for my customers, everybody's a little nervous when they take their dog into into the blind for the first day or around their new guest. You know, nobody wants to be embarrassed by a dog. They want their dog to be on 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 their best behavior, right? So, um, you know, I, I let the dog out in the morning. We'd be out there in the dark, let, let him air. If, if it was um, safety hazard from roads and stuff like that, I would have gone ahead and saddled him up with the collar. But probably let him air, let him hang out, do his business, um, go ahead and feed and water him without the collar on. Um, and then let him air again. And then now when you, when it's time and we're, we're headed to the boat and we're, we're about to get our stuff and I already got my blind bag and I got my gun over my shoulder, he's going to be saddled up and he's going to be at heel. Um, he, he, he's under command. He, it's time to, it's, it's time for business. So, um, I would, I, I definitely, I, I like a buck. I like a dog in the boat or in the, 
buggy or in the vehicle in a certain spot. I don't like a dog climbing from one side of the boat to the other, going up and from the front to the back in the buggy or front to back in the um, inside of a vehicle. So I also teach the place command with the e-collar and I, I reinforce it and collar condition it. So when we get to the boat, I say place um, and that dog, I like I'm normally driving the boat, so I, I teach all of our dogs back there by me um, on the on the right side where the throttle um, doesn't hit him if I turn hard. So I, I, when I say place, he goes to that spot, stays there. When I get to the duck blind, I say place, he goes to that spot and stays there. He doesn't wander around in the blind. So my answer to your question is I have the e-collar on. When I grab my gun or my um, blind bag, the e-collar goes on and it's ready when you're a kid and your mom and dad and i and i know that you have youngins you take them to swimming lessons i know that you have to probably pay somebody to give them swimming lessons because i've seen you swim and it's not pretty <laughs> so um but with these kids they got floaties on their arms they have kickboards they have their coaches holding them they get to learn how to kick they get to learn the freestyle the breaststroke the backstroke you know all of these different swimming lessons but once they get to a certain point in their swimming career Brad Arrington they get to take their floaties off they get to get rid of the kickboard i've seen high powered dogs come out of mossy pond that have done amazing things during a hunt Mo is an he's an animal. Um, Storm with Josh Beckham. I mean, with uh, um, smooth right. With, Storm, Storm is is Drew Keith, and then who is uh, is is smooth? Josh Beckham. Smooth with Beckham. Yep. Okay, these dogs are amazing. I've seen them just do amazing. Axel's amazing. But they all have their collars on, even when they're you know in dog years, they're twenty years old now. Do you ever hunt without a collar, even if your dog is a, you know, a machine like the ones I just mentioned? Because sooner or later, those awesome swimmers get to get rid of those floaties. And I don't know if that's the right analogy to say, because I know safety is a big part of this. But even when you're swimming, there's a chance you're drowning, you know, sometime if the water gets wrong and floaties would come in handy. Do you ever hunt a strong dog without a collar? Oh, I don't agree with ever hunting, no matter what demeanor they have without an e-collar. There's so many safety factors and so many times that we need them and need them to perform properly to be a better conservation tool. Um, I mean, so health and to keep them safe. Um, I mean, a ground force blind, we're in a layout blind in the field hunting geese and um I've already noticed old Joe, he's coming out of the ground force blind a little early a couple times. I could uh, I could easily give him a little nick. Hey, dude, sit, sit. And if I didn't have that tool to reinforce my command, you know, he blows out and he gets shot the next, the next volley. Um, you know, I'd be sick with myself. That, that, that's an example. And, you know, just like the example I made earlier about the hand signal that we're giving the um, – the dog picking up the goose at 450 yards. I mean, that goose gets into the hedgerow or gets on the other man's property and we lost that goose. Now you have a cripple wandering around and we didn't get to um, recover our game. So no, I, I, if, if I'm hunting, that's business to me. Um, when you're, when you're, killing animals and you have to have that dog as a conservation tool to pick them up it's serious we're, we're not out there shooting clay pigeons or shooting skeet at that point we're serious and i need that dog to be the best he can be as a conservation tool and then when it goes back to the health and keeping him health um 
keeping him alive, keeping him healthy, you know, that, that gets really serious then. You know, he gets on a crip with 700 yards and we can see him, but the, him and the goose are going out across um, a hard road. You know, he can't hear my whistle. I guarantee you that dog tra pager and then that dog tra um, um, taunt, I mean, the um, Nick and then the continuous, he can feel that up to a mile and a half. So, um, I've seen it happen a bunch. Corn stubble, 20 mile an hour wind, a dog and a goose going across the field. He can't hear you, but he can hear my call. He can hear the caller. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, before I go into my next statement, you, um, the hunt's over, just like my question, two previous questions before. You get the pictures taken up, guns are unloaded, you put the birds in a stack or however you want your picture to look, maybe hanging from a strap. I want the dog in the picture. I'm thinking right now, this caller stays on through the picture. The caller comes off. He goes in his crate because I don't want him out there with four wheelers and UTVs and side by sides and trucks and trailers and all this stuff going on. He might catch wind of something and take off when I'm not paying attention. Am I, am I on to something with the safety factors? Use your head, use common sense, get him back in the crate and let him be safe while all that work's going on. But take the caller off before he goes back in that crate or educate me on that a little bit. Yeah, just like you said, you know, I like to I like to be under control, and I like my dog to be um, a gentleman. I, I want him to be j- j- just like my kids. You know, um, I never let my guard down about how I discipline them. You know, if if I tell them not to do it, I, I should only say it once. If not, they should get disciplined, and it, it's just like the dogs. You know, if I tell him to sit for the picture, he should sit now. I can't ask him to smile in every picture. No, no different than my kid. But if I st- tell him to stand there and get his picture made, he better stand there and get his picture made. Um, you know, for just like you said, safety reasons. He gets run over. Everybody's leaving camp. Everybody's running to lunch. You know, um, he, he gets run over. That's no good. So, and then you know, when I put him in the crate, I, I let him decompress. Let him let him get in there, take the collar off of him. These dogs, they they keep a lot stored up mentally and um i like them to go in there lay on their bed be let it be quiet let him let him decompress and um they take this stuff serious like we do you know you know how mentally exhausted you and i can be before a hunt making sure especially you know on the show you know having all the cameras having all the stuff um making sure everything's perfect um he's thinking the same thing with you know half the capacity brain knowledge capacity you know or a tenth so he needs to get in this crate decompress have him a nap um at that point if it's cold you know i give him a little kibble let let him let him let some cattle build him back up some calories and let him rest and so yeah i let him decompress after hunt and take the e-collar off of him with your with your reputation on the line, with Mossy Pond's reputation on the line, Lee Howard's reputation, Super Retriever Series, Hunt Test, Master Hunters, Hunter Retriever Champions, Field Trials, why Dogtra? Why would you depend on Dogtra? Because I know that you're not just going to take a check from somebody if it's not going to turn out the best dogs. Why does Brad Arrington and Mossy Pond depend on Dogtra? 
used every collar under the sun. You, you name a collar, I've used it. We've tested it. I got nine trainers out here. I mean, we are tough on collars. You know, some of my employees are tougher than others, but um, we are tough on e-collars and more durable, outlast, easier to use. I mean, it's just, and like you said, knock on wood, we're blessed. I could use, I could use and probably be sponsored by any collar company out there. And, um, durability is probably the biggest thing. I mean, these collars last forever. Um, water, rain, we're, we're out there, you know, in the mud every day. My guys in the summer, you know, we, we want it to rain where we can train. Uh, I mean, uh, when it's not so hot. So we train in the rain, training. Uh, every day and throwing these collars in and out of these trucks on on a different dog, taking it on, taking it off, everything about them. Durability would probably be my number one. Um, and then my number two is I never look down at my e-collar, which I do it for a living. I never look down and it's just so easy to use every, every model. Um, this, the new 3,500 X right here, um, I worked with the guys on that and, um, it, it, it's brand new. It's different, but it's brand new. It is one of the easiest systems to use. It's got a new feature on the back where you lock the dog in after you do a setting because anybody can bump the collar and change settings. This collar has an awesome feature. You can, you can lock that in on the dog. So whatever you set it on, you lock it. You could, you could throw it across the yard, throw it across the field. It could get bumped in your blind bag. And Joe, if he's number one dog, he set on a certain setting. Number two is, um, you know, scout. He set on a certain setting throughout my whole day, my whole hunt. They're locked in. I will not misuse um, their setting. Um, they're just so easy to use. These guys, they, they put so much time. Um, the guys that the guys in the field uh, put so much time on them to make sure that they're they're easy to use. So durability would be number one, and then just it, that they're all easy to use. I I sell every customer that leaves here has to leave with a collar and um, 1900 S by Dogtree is a little one. You can get it in camo as well. Um, it's a small one, about like a cell phone, got a little slim design on the, um, receiver and it, it works good for the amateur, the, the, the hunter, and it's good looking and it's easy to use. Got two buttons on the whole collar. So ease of use. So you're, you're talking about the 3,500 X I'm holding the 3502 X, which is the two dog now. So yeah, you can have, you can have, it comes with two collars and one remote. You can have a collar on each of, a, of two different dogs during a training session, a drill or a hunt. And still the ease of use on the, on the two dog system is amazing to me. Have you, do you use this one as well, Brad? That, that was, and I apologize. That's the one I was describing. Yep. Yep. I mean, the same collar. That's just the two dog. I like that collar a lot. And you know, when I'm, when I'm guiding here on our property, that's the, that's the new collar that I use and, um, got one in each, each blind on, on the, on our duck blinds here. It, it works really good. And I, um, I, I don't have to worry about changing settings for each dog. It's locked in and it works really well. So you got the 3500X, which is a single dog, and the 3502X is the double dog, which is the one you're talking about, the two-dog collar. 
And so you'll have a duck blind. You'll have two dogs in each duck blind, maybe four duck blinds going, eight dogs total with four callers. I mean, eight callers, but four remotes. Each trainer just has one remote. That's pretty sick. Hey, um, I got a message this week, Brad Arrington, that brought a little tear to my eye. Uh, Mr. Beatty, Clint Beatty uh, sent me a message about our boy Rufus passed, yeah, passed away. And that, that uh, was tough. thank God we're blessed to spend that time that we did with him and get that footage laid down to where that family has that for life now. And he told me, he sent me a long message about man, what it meant to see, you know, go back and watch it again and, and how thankful he was. So what kind of dog was Rufus? He was a chocolate lab, but how special was he? Uh, Rufus came along right, right around the time that I was transitioning from hunt testing to field trial game. And, um, I was running a hunt test and me and Mr. Beatty, we didn't know each other. I approached him and we were running, um, a hunt test that weekend. He was actually running Rufus and junior. I came up to him and asked him, asked him, I said, man, that's a, that's a good looking dog. What do you, and, um, he, he, I watched him work. I said, he, he works well. I said, what, what are your plans with him? And me and, Clint and Miss MK, we hit it off. They're basically like family now. And um, a lot of hours, a lot of hours on the road, a lot of summers in New York that I've spent with Rufus. Um, uh, Mr. Clint, he was, it, it was an honor for me. He came down last week. Um, we knew that Rufus had cancer and the vet had found it. And he came down and we, he actually, um, whew, tough. Um, we actually were able to get in the field and shoot him a couple flyers. So the last time that he ever picked up a flyer was me and Mr. Clint by ourselves right out there in the, our field. So it was pretty special to me. Um, Rufus was one of the top two or three dogs I ever want to cue with. Um, a lot of special times. I got to take him on the foul life with you, you guys. He, he, anything you asked him to do, whether it was for Miss MK or for Clint or for myself or any of the other trainers, Lee ran him a good bit. He was always ready and eager to work. Um, very, he had that switch. He turned it off when he was up in the, up in the lodge or up at, I actually kept him at my house a couple, a couple times, just a very special dog to me and the business, the brand, the kennel, um, and my family. And like, like I said, the, um, Clint and Miss MK, they're, they're like family to me. And I was able to spend, also spend that time with you, with Rufus, an extremely special dog to, for us at Mossy Pond. Yeah. When he, when he sent me that, I was just, I got several of those pictures from that hunt. Um, North Dakota. I got several of those pictures, you know, framed and I'm glad that I do. I'm, I might maybe send one to you and we could put a little message on there for Clinton, send it up to him for, for, him, for, for him to frame and put up in his place. But, um, yeah, special dog. And it, it kind of, it, 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 I barely knew him and it hurt me when I heard it because I knew how bad Mr. You know, that Clint was hurting. And then I wanted to wait until I talked to you on here that like, man, you just, it's amazing. And I'm going to say this and then I'll let you go, Brad. This has been a great talk for me. I appreciate your time is that sometimes you just fall in love with the dog and there's other dogs that I haven't fallen in love with. And I, and it, it took literally, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It took after you left here and I got to, you know, just get really tight with Axel. 
there's nobody that will come in between us. He will not leave my seat in my truck. You know, if I'm going somewhere close, if I'm going far away, you know, I'll make sure he's secure. But if I'm just going for a little poke around the neighborhood, he's up in the back seat. He's laying with me. He's in my bed with me. He's, he's disciplined. Don't get me wrong. We're working hard, but man, I am in love with him. Just like, damn it. You just can't, you can't describe the feeling. You know what I mean? Like there's it's just and some. Axel's that type of dog, but just like you were talking about Rufus, every person that Rufus touched you know we, we keep a hundred to at one point a couple years ago i had 150 170 dogs out here and there's dogs out here that every trainer and every employee every vet tech every vet that i have knows their name i mean i mean just they look at them that's rufus rufus was that dog everybody here on the property loved rufus he every person he touched they were crazy about him and i, I have to, i know exactly what you're saying some dogs you just don't fall in love with Rufus and just like your boy Axel, I mean they're one of a kind. They they have that special touch that um, they they attract people and people love them. Hold on a second, come here, buddy. Come, you recognize this voice? Come here. You recognize this voice? Say hi. Hey, boy. Hey, Axel. Come here, Up here. Hey, man. Come here. No, come on. <laughs> come here. <laughs> come on, buddy. Oh yeah, come here. Okay. Come on. He said, Brad, I'll probably get on to me if I jump into somebody's lap. <laughs> hey, Axel. Hey, Axel. He thinks I'm taking him to hunt right now. Yeah. Come here. Oh, here, come here. Oh, look at Brad. There's Bradley right there. Come on. Oh, there he is right there. You see him? What? Hey, hey, man. Hey, Axel. Hey, what? Hey, man. Oh, I can hear you now. Look at <laughs> yeah, hey, he's, he's special man i'm telling you yeah he is he's a special dog that's that that sucker last night he laid on my pillow like a girlfriend next to me with my arm around him i'm not kidding you like cuddle one on me head on my left pack right here on my chest and he just he just sat there i had my my phone up like this sending some emails and he just chills man he's just a he's just a neat neat dog man neat he dog is. That's been another episode of the Foul Eye Podcast. Our good friend Brad Arrington, Mossy Pond Retrievers, Team MPR on Instagram. Check them out. We got Axel Breedings going on right now. We are starting, we're getting ready to launch a whole video series on Axel that we've been putting together. We're getting ready to get him back in the field, getting ready to start filming episode or season 13 of the Foul Life. We'll have Brad out with us several times. Y'all will get daily updates on how Axel's doing in the water and the dry fields. I'm so excited. Thank you, Dogtra, for all of the support making all of our dogs exceptional from Georgia to Nevada with Team Mossy Pond. Brad, any closing words, my man? Happy hunting. Um, stay cool right now and ha have a good season. That's Brad Arrington. Y'all follow him. Like I said, Team NPR on Instagram. I appreciate y'all's support of the podcast, the TV shows, all of our brands. Tom, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. Yeah.